Welcome to Sound Tradition, where we examine the theology, practices, and traditions of the contemporary church in light of the Bible. My name is Jason Shirk, and as you guys know, Luke Hitz is still out of town, but I have a guest speaker with us today, um, Brother Jim Porter. Um, you want to kind of introduce yourself to everybody? Yeah, uh, my name is Jim, as, as Jason mentioned, and I have uh, basically grown up here in Oklahoma. Um, I went to Bob Jones University uh, for my undergrad. I'm uh, currently a CPA. I've been working on taxes for almost 30 years, um, and this is uh, this was a challenge for me. The topic <laughs> we're going to touch on today. So. Yeah, I uh, specifically thought of inviting Brother Porter to join me on the podcast for today because I appreciate the depth of thinking that he puts into topics like this. Uh, I couldn't just ask somebody off the street to come in and chime on the topic we're going to be talking about today. <laughs> so I, I really appreciate what he brings to the table with this. But we are going to be dealing with the topic of the moral argument for God. This is kind of a diversion from what we have been talking about in the podcast lately, but I thought it would be an interesting one to bring up. Um, yeah. And it'd be, it'd be helpful for those who have family members and friends who don't believe in God. This is one of the newer arguments that have been presented as a proof or evidence for God in just recent history. But the moral argument for God basically states that if God does not exist... Objective moral values do not exist. That's premise number one. Premise number two is that objective moral values do exist. Therefore, God must exist. That's basically a general synopsis of the moral argument for God. Now, I know Brother Porter's put a whole lot of effort into studying the nature of goodness and a lot of these different uh, different aspects to the syllogism. So I wanted to turn it over to him to kind of let him expound on what the this syllogism, what this this premise and conclusion actually mean to us. Thank you. The uh, just just to begin, I, I went to uh, an apologetics um, book, uh, really almost a uh, an academic type of. of uh, pronouncement on the philosophy behind the moral argument um, you know I've, I've always taken this belief on faith but mm -hmm. to actually stop and say well why <laughs> um, has been a challenge to me um, and really it comes down to sort of a, a few beginning premises uh, the first being that uh, a first uncaused cause of my current existence exists and that's that's the philosophical thought process. It breaks it down to things that we normally don't, normal people, accountants don't normally deal with. <laughs> um, so you know, basically the, the rule of the, a cause has to have uh, an original causor kind of thing. Um, basically, logically, um, this says that an uncaused cause must be infinite, unchanging, all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-perfect. Um, and so you take that step, and then you take the next step, which says, by knowing, we acknowledge an all-knowing being. Mm -hmm. And so then you step into, well, um, good. What is good? Right. Yeah. Okay. So good is defined as that which would be desired for its own sake. And you keep building on these these basic philosophical premises. Mm -hmm. um, Starting with that cosmological argument that, right. that there and, has to be a first cause. Yeah. And, you know, so then you get down to, well, um, and I'm going to skip a few steps here, but mm -hmm. it gets down to um, 
you know, people are uh, an end, not a means. They have intrinsic and extrinsic mm-hmm. value. So internally, we want to be valued, right? And we want other people to value. So yes. inside and outside. Yeah, that's uh, one of the premises in Kantian ethics as well, which you'll find is related to our mm-hmm. moral argument mm-hmm. that we're going to be talking about today. So yeah, um, yeah. and then it comes down to it. So it's basically. You can tell that these these premises are true because if you look and say, not so much as how men treat other people, mm-hmm. but how they want to be treated by other people. Right, and that's actually a very good point that we'll bring up again in that's, the future. You know, <laughs> so, which, yeah. which you stop and think about, and you yeah. think, well, okay, if 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 somebody does something to somebody else, that's not really his true value per se. Mm-hmm. But when you turn around and you say okay, this is what I expect you to do to me, Mm -hmm. and if you don't do this, then I'm going to fuss. You see this so much in the world today Mm -hmm. of people, you know, um, having people do things to them and not liking the way that it comes back. (laughs) But they would do it to them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, one example that I think of when I think of that point specifically is that apologists and philosophers have argued that cultures like the Aka Indians that valued going in and killing your enemy tribes mm-hmm. and taking their women and all their possessions was a virtue. Or in Papua New Guinea, where Judas was actually heralded as the hero of the gospel story right. because he deceived Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, And so, yeah, they value that negative bad behavior that we would never value but on the flip side if it were done to them would they say it was wrong yeah. and they would, yeah, they would. <laughs> so, they would. Yeah. That, definitely definitely <laughs> yeah um you know and i think i think you may have mentioned this uh in one of our discussions but um just to throw out there there's um one of the books that c.s lewis wrote was mere christianity and it was really interesting he spent some time during his lifetime on the radio mm-hmm. with a program, and he would have callers call in and discuss various um, situational ethics, if you will. And he would, it really challenged him to pull them back to that there is one source mm-hmm. for the moral values that we have, and, uh, and, and kind of pointed that at God and said, this is. Christianity is is the truth that has right. those right those right values. So. Yeah, and C.S. Lewis was probably my first exposure to the moral argument for God um, in in his book *Mere Christianity*, which mm-hmm. basically he made the argument that we have common shared moral values. Those common shared moral values must have come from a lawgiver, and the very fact that that lawgiver. Um, is concerned with morals in the first place shows personality. Mm-hmm. And when you put personality, ultimate lawgiver, ultimate, uh, ultimate, uh, power all together, what do we call that? We call that God. Right. And from, so he basically proved the premise of God, the existence of God. Now where you get from that to Christian to Christianity's God is a whole nother discussion basically. Right. But that was kind of the flow of thought that, that mere Christianity presented with right. this. So, yeah. No, it's it's one thing for me to say, well, this is this is how I philosophically prove a God, mm-hmm. and maybe even the God of the Bible, or one similar to that God. Right. But there have to be a lot of arguments against just that simple philosophical buildup, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, and that's kind of where uh, my, uh, a lot of my notes came into into play. I started going through 
a lot of websites from atheists and from other philosophers to see, okay, well, what would they say about these arguments? Actually, I think they yeah. prefer the term non-theist. Non-theist, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah. And one of one of my heroes dealing with this argu- argument has been uh, William Lane Craig. He's a great apologist. And so I wanted to take his moral argument that he presents and just break down each premise piece by piece. The first premise was if God doesn't exist, objective moral values do not exist. Now, a lot of non-theists, we'll use that term, okay, <laughs> would say, well, I can I cannot believe in God and still be a moral person, you know, from experience and that that is true. You can have good morals without believing in a God, but that doesn't necessarily mean that God is not the source of that ultimate morality. It's not, it's not really an argument against the moral argument. So yeah, you have to have, you still have to have a base mm-hmm. for that, those good moral right. values. Yep. There has to be a base. I might believe a whole bunch of things are good and true, but what, what gives the, my beliefs moral authority to impose on somebody else, basically. That's ultimately the question. That's why God becomes important to the moral argument is because you have to have an authority to make it to make it obligatory on mankind. So well, one of the arguments that they have presented is that God can't be the source of common morality because common morality can't be the result of commands that are given. Basically, the idea behind this is if I give a command to, let's let's just use the biblical example. God gives a command to Israel. Did he give those commands to everybody else in in the same way that he gave no, to Israel? No. no. And so there's there's a limit to it because these commands are limited in in their audience. And so somebody would could say, "Well, I didn't get that command," you know, kind of mm-hmm. idea. But the the problem with this argument is that God's morality, God's moral expectations are not based in his commands. They are based in his nature as good. So it's not what he commanded, it's who he actually is that is the basis for common morality. And I had a discussion recently with my son who's going to a a Christian college in Florida and he was puzzled by one of his professors said that uh, Rahab and Jericho Mm. should not have lied about (laughs) hiding the spies. Yep. And so we had a, a long discussion about, well, is it right to lie in order to do right? Mm-hmm. And basically, it came down to the kind of the same collusion you were just spelling out is, right. well, God's nature is that lying is wrong mm-hmm. and it's not good. So We'll be discussing that in our Sunday school class coming up <laughs> next oh, week as well, because really? so, we're I'll going to, through the I'll Hall of Faith. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, but I do come to the same conclusion. <laughs> so. yeah. Okay, so yeah, that it, it all comes down to the character of God. It isn't what he said, it is the fact of who he is. And that's why there is this shared common understanding of morality because at some point all men knew who God was and that knowledge has had an intrinsic mm-hmm. imprint on ma- on who man is basically. Jason, is this is this yeah. kind of where the the conscience of man comes into play with a sort mm-hmm. of a common morality. Right. I mean, we all kind of have, I think even scripture points out that even the Gentiles, and I always pictured the, the yeah. barbarians <laughs> coming into to Europe, they all knew some sort of right and wrong, mm-hmm. and they had laws even amongst themselves, Right. but they did not know 
the God of the of the right. Jews at that point in time. Yeah, and I, I think I think it is very closely associated with the idea of conscience. The problem with saying specifically it is conscience is that people's consciences differ hmm. um, because of training, because they've seared their conscience. We have that concept in the right. Bible as well. But I think it's easier to look at it as the image of God in their life. You know that that witness of their need for God is still there and God is speaking to their heart. And so it, that works through conscience, but I don't think it's exactly a hundred percent the same okay. thing as conscience. But the, the verse that you were referencing was uh, Romans two and verse, we'll start in verse number 12 says for as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. And here, here's the key verse. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience, and that, that's why you keyed in on conscience there, also bearing witness and their thoughts, the meanwhile ex- accusing or else excusing one another. And so that, that's the idea that ingrained into us through conscience, through the image of God in our life, and this basic knowledge of common good and evil, we have an objective morality built into who we are as human beings. And even the Gentiles prove that by the fact that they do the things that God said don't, uh, they do the things that God said to do and don't do the things that God said not to do without having had to have been told one way or the other. And that's kind of the idea behind that. Yeah. Another one is that uh, undisputed facts could be the basis of objective moral truth. A lot of non-theists in rejecting God but still accepting objective morality have to replace God with something. And so one of the efforts has been to replace him with undisputed facts. Okay, just things that we all observe that none of us would ever argue are true or I mean one of these could be it hurts people if you kill or it hurts kids if you kill their parents. Okay. That, that could be viewed as an undisputed fact. And I just wing in that one totally. Okay. But or even like yeah. with the, the, the whole thing of the, the death penalty, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it hurts the person. Therefore it's cruel or it's unusual or it's mm-hmm. cruel. Therefore it, we've seen it experience. Right. And therefore it's gotta be wrong. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, all killing is wrong no matter mm-hmm. what. That I think that kind of leads to even the undisputed facts may even just be experiential, right? Because we 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 say if we experience it, it's got to be true all the time. Mm-hmm. Where you know I think there's there's some obvious um, problems with that kind of a statement is just because right. I experience something. Mm-hmm. Or I see that oh, it looks like it hurts him. It elevates myself as the that, authority. Yeah, yeah. then, it, then it puts me up there and says, well, because I believe that, then mm-hmm. it's got to be. I've seen that. It's got to yep. be true for everybody. Yeah, and that, that comes down to this idea that just because it's a fact doesn't make it ob- obligatory to everybody else. Okay? You might believe something is true, but that doesn't mean I am obliged to also believe mm-hmm. it is true. Right. And that's kind of the idea behind that one. You also have, they substitute, instead of undisputed facts, they'll, they'll do non-natural facts. Okay, another one is intuition. People just by intuition, they know what is right from wrong, so therefore intuition is enough to guide us into 
a legitimate view of right and wrong without having to have God as the necessary basis for that. Okay, again, you still have to ask, it's kind of like that first cause argument. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what caused that, you know? Right. <laughs> so right. yeah. if I have intuition, well, what made me and everybody else have that same intuition, you know? There has to be a perfect source of right. intuition. Yes. Yeah, and, and, the, and the problem with it is that, honestly, intuition does fail us as, an, as a basis because your intuition might be different than mine. You know, I might be really hungry and think it's perfectly fine to, to eat my brother, you know. Or to take my lunch out of the refrigerator. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, we, have different, we have different views on, on what is right and wrong when it comes to intuitiveness, what we naturally just feel is the right thing to do. Right. And so it's an unreliable basis mm-hmm. for an objective morality, basically. Another theory that is out there is opposed by a man named Parfit, and I'm probably saying his name wrong, okay? But his, his idea is that morals are like mathematics or logical truths, and he says that they do not depend on ontological status, meaning they don't have to have a cause, they don't have to have um, a basis for them. So morality doesn't need a god. Because it doesn't need an, on, an, an ontological logical cause. It's like mathematics. The problem with this is it's making an assumption that mathematics doesn't come from an ontological cause. Or that even log- logic itself doesn't come from an ontological cause. And so universal objective morality is common to all. And when you think about it, though, mathematics. Do we all know common mathematics the moment we're born? No. No. We have to be taught it, right? right. Okay, so there, there's a problem with mathematics or logic. Even you have to be taught to think logically too. Right. And, <laughs> and so, there's all sorts of different ways of, especially nowadays, of of teaching mathematics, mm-hmm. of coming to different answers. Right. Um, and you know, if you're if you're if your logical mathematical mind is off just a fraction. Mm then your morals would be skewed from mine, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think also, uh, maybe, and maybe I'm taking this too far, but looking to logic or to, really, there's not a whole lot of logical people in the world, but uh, <laughs> the logical and mathematical, um, if, if those things are so true... And math is something that I've always pictured, at least in the general sense, as a set of, of laws and rules and that have to be a certain way. A triangle has to have three sides, mm-hmm. if triangles exist. But the if everybody, if every culture has a different set of values mm-hmm. that are perfect to them, then how does how does it operate in a mathematical or a logical fashion? Right. Yeah. So that it's kind of self defeating almost at that point. A um, another view also is that morality is just practical. We've evolved with it over thousands of years, and we've come to practical conclusions about what is moral and what isn't moral. The problem with that is it's it's not any different than subjectivism. Because my culture might have a different practical view on morality than your culture. And ultimately, when you come down to the evolutionary development of practical morality, what makes my moral views 
actually beneficial to my culture. So like survival of the fittest, okay, as an evolutionary concept, if that is the overall ruling moral view that a society has, they're going to do whatever they want to as long as their society is promoted through it, that view. It would almost, it would almost lend itself to a, a chaotic right. set of values. Mm-hmm. If it's if it's based on practical, right? I think practical would be the probably the easiest, uh, laziest way of coming <laughs> to a conclusion. And well, you know, just over, you know, millions and billions of years, this is just what we've come down to. Right. Is you don't do these things, or mm-hmm. you do these things. Uh, it's, it seems like it's a pretty easy um, escape from actually having to stop and go. Okay, wait a minute. What what really is the basis of right. the morals? Yeah, and if you think about it evolutionarily, if practical mores of morality were developed over by time over time by evolution, each society would still develop their own values right. because they're developing in different areas with different circumstances over time. But the fact that there is a universal understanding of right and wrong. And we'll develop this, we'll prove this concept more in the next point as well. But the fact that there is that universal understanding of right and wrong shows that it couldn't have happened by evolution over thousands of years as a practical development of society. So the uh, second premise was that objective moral values do exist. Okay, and this is probably one that a lot of people would like to argue. I am trained in linguistics and anthropology, and a lot of anthropologists like to look at different cultures and how they differ and say, well, they're it's what's right and what's wrong in each culture is different from place to place. And some of that, some of that is on the surface value true, Mm -hmm. but when you boil it down to the core root morals of that society, there is still a common understanding. I have a quote here by a man named Edward Slingerland. He's from the university of British Columbia. And this quote was actually made at the beyond belief conference in, I believe 2007. He said, Religion is not going away, he announced. Even those of us who fancy ourselves rationalists and scientists, he said, rely on moral values, a set of distinctly unscientific beliefs. Where, for instance, does our conviction that human rights are universal come from? Human rights, to me, are as mysterious as the Holy Trinity. You can't do a CT scan to show where human rights are. You can't cut someone open and show us their human rights. It's not an empirical thing. It's just something we strongly believe. It's a purely metaphysical entity. Okay, and that was his conclusion. Now, he's still a non-theist, but he's concluding that human rights aren't something that we can verify scientifically. It's a metaphysical concept that is out there. And when if we were to push people on universal moral beliefs, I think honestly they would have to come to a conclusion that objective morality does exist. They don't like Christianity's morality, but they there are some things that they would all agree on are morally wrong. And that to me that that just it sounds like a sort of a crack in their in their armor in their defense mm-hmm. is if you say, well, I believe in nothing bigger than man, mm-hmm. but yet there's a universal set of beliefs, it it points to, okay, well, wait, maybe our belief that religion will die, mm-hmm. wait a minute, I just said I believe that, we believe that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now you're using belief 
right? Yeah. Which is the basis yeah. <laughs> of religion, whether it's Christianity yeah, or any other, or an Eastern religion, yeah. you, they still have certain beliefs and certain values, mm-hmm. mores, if you will, that is universal right. to that religion, to mm-hmm. that group. So for a non-theist or an atheist to, among his brethren, say, we've got a problem. Mm-hmm. Belief is something that's real. Yes. Yep. That destroys their their hope oh, yes, that religion definitely. will go away. Yeah. So, <laughs> wait a minute. How do we? How do we? How do we do that? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's kind of interesting to see how the the world has taken and changed definitions of things that when I was a kid a long time ago that meant certain things. They now mean different, or mm-hmm. they're they're import their importance is much less mm-hmm. than you know say 45 years ago right um and i think that's that's really how the the non-theist if you will in order to try to suppress religion mm-hmm. um have changed definitions and tried to right you know hide things and in the shadows but Mm -hmm. when this gentleman comes out and says we got a problem belief is a metaphysical reality yeah yeah i think in in modern times the new atheists have taken a different approach and this is kind of a side tangent to this instead of denying the existence of god or the validity of god of a supreme being they have changed their tact to attacking the character of god How can God be true or real if he commanded the genocidal passages in the Old Testament or if he hates gays or something like that, you know? So, and that's the new argument that for the most part they have tried to present, which creates new discussions for apologists, you know? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, if if you're you're a young Christian, a new Christian, Mm -hmm. for example, and you have... You have certain beliefs about God. Mm-hmm. You're you're still not able to defend against. Well, your God isn't good because mm-hmm. <laughs> of the things that you just mentioned. Right. Things that, as the society has changed, and they, um, their their hatred for God and for His nature, mm-hmm. and that attack on His nature and saying these are bad things. Really, when we know that they're good, but. Mm-hmm. You know, that whole discussion, but those things to a new Christian would be could be a devastating blow. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so just as another aside, it's it's really one of those <laughs> things where we as um, more mature Christians need to really be focused in the church is almost teaching it's apologetics, teaching that stuff, like, yes. like a Sunday school class, yeah. or <laughs> you know, advanced uh, you know, an, an advancement for new Christians mm-hmm. would be an apologetics kind. Of Course. Yeah, and we I definitely would love to follow up on that topic in another podcast. If you want to study that concept more, I do recommend the book Is God a Moral Monster? Okay. That just specifically deals with that that aspect. Because again, if, if God is gonna be the basis for objective morality, we gotta also believe that God is good mm-hmm. to be the basis of that objective morality, you know. But just like I said, when you corner a non theist about objective morality and just ask them some practical questions like is it wrong for someone to break into a house shoot everybody inside and steal everything they own i don't think anybody is ever going to say yeah that's a good thing 
you know, in any culture, even the Papua New Guinea culture, if you were to flip it and say, if that happened to you, would that be a perfectly all right, good thing? You know, they might, they might themselves say, yeah, let's go do that. But if it happened to them, they're going to have, they're going to seek vengeance. There's going to be retribution and all, and all that, that just shows that they still believe that this is a wrong action to take. You know, another one is for a man to beat and rape an innocent, innocent woman. Is anybody going to say, hey, this is a, this is a good thing? Now, every culture looks down upon right. actions like that. Um, for an adult to torture a child just for the fun of it. Again, something that we would all acknowledge is morally wrong. Or for, this one's over the top, honestly, but it really makes the point for parents to have children just so that they can sexually assault them every day of their lives. Is that... That would be grotesque, horrible, evil, okay. wicked thing to do. And nobody's going to say, oh, yeah, that's so good. Um, we all acknowledge this is wrong. And it's, well, and there, there yeah. have been stories where, where that has happened within mm-hmm. families. Yeah. And there is no, there's no let up from the media, from the, the <laughs> neighbors, from the police. Yeah. Everything in society, even in those parts of our society that, you know, I, we would kind of look down on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even their base morality just attacked yes. those parents mm-hmm. for the for the apparent evil that they did. Yeah, one of the arguments that's often presented against this is, and we'll talk about this also in a second, is the existence of sociopaths, people who don't have any moral <laughs> limits mm-hmm. to them. You know, and honestly, being a sociopath doesn't disprove objective morality. It just proves that this person has something physically, mentally wrong with them is all that it does. They are an abnormality. They are not the norm. And something is really wrong with this person. Same thing with the parents who would do something like that, you know? Most of the time, I think even in their cases, they know what they're doing is wrong and they are psychologically messed up because they did it anyways, you know? It doesn't disprove the objectiveness of the morality. It just proves that some people are totally messed up and twisted right so. and you really can't base an argument for for or against mm-hmm. uh, the moral aspects of god based on aberrations mm-hmm. things that are you know unusual anomalies so. yeah yeah the exceptions to the rule yeah right. yeah another uh, an apologist who has done a lot of work with with this issue has gotten into the habit of asking this question before any of his debates that he does he uh, asks true or false in murdering six million Jewish men, women, and children, the Nazis were guilty of real moral wrong. Would you say that is a true or a false statement? And yeah, I would, I would, <laughs> so. I would, say, I would say yes. But yeah. I mean, I, I think I've, I've, I think I've, I've heard or read that Middle Easterns, those, yeah, so. for many of those people, mm-hmm. they would say no. We we were doing right by doing yes. that, and they thought they were. Yes, and it's you know it's really kind of a because of the the brainwashing that had gone on, mm-hmm. you know, step by step by step, mm-hmm. uh, they came to that conclusion. But yeah. it, again, it was a, it was a, it was an aberration on a mm-hmm. much larger scale, and you yes. saw the entire world come come into the whole play against that. Yes, sort of. And they had to be they had to be taught to think that way as right. well. That was not the natural way that the German citizens didn't wake up one day and say, "I hate Jews, let's kill them all." You know? Right. They had to be taught that Jews were less than human and that Jews were the source of all the problems in Germany. Mm-hmm. So therefore we should destroy them and get rid of right. them. 
So, and so it just it just shows again what you can do to twist objective morality, but that doesn't disprove the presence of objective morality. Right. Right. So some of the we've kind of already hit on some of these arguments against the premise that objective moral value does exist in some ways already. But one of those is that so many cultural values are so different. And again, this isn't a proof that objective morality doesn't exist. It just shows that at in the at the root, the root morality is still the same, even though the applications of that morality could differ. So yeah. you're saying that. Even though they appear so different, mm -hmm. you, know, you mentioned Papua New Guinea and, right. and the, you know, the, the tribes in, in South America. Their their value systems look from the from the high point so different than ours right. or you know Western Europe. But really, the fact that they have a set of moral values mm -hmm. even solidifies the fact that there is right. an objective. Yeah, and then underneath the surface idea. level of those of those moral values is common moral values with what we would have, right. such as I have a right to my property, okay? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, they, yes, they would go and they would take somebody else's property, but like we talked about, if you flip that around and you take it from them, there's still that underlying moral assumption that it is wrong to take my stuff from me, Correct. you know? Right. And so those, those morality issues underlie all their various different interpretations of how morality should work basically but right. it doesn't mean that the underlying objective morality doesn't exist right. so another one is that objective morality is not tolerant okay this is probably one you'll hear a lot more today but to be honest this isn't an intellectual argument this is an emotional argument <laughs> against objective <laughs> morality i don't like and I'm saying this is a theoretical sense, but I don't like objective morality because it says what I'm doing is wrong, and so it's intolerant. But the problem with that is the person who makes that type of a statement is also being intolerant of the person who believes in yeah, objective often, morality. Often, yeah, often you know? yeah. Yep. Um, again, it's just an emotional argument. It's not an actual intellectual argument that objective morality can't exist. Right, so. right. Another one is there are so many different beliefs about what is right and wrong. You know, that basically this goes back to the intuitive idea. I have a different view from you on what is the right course of action to take, what is right to do. Does that mean that there is no objective answer to the truth? No, I, I think it means that there is. Because right. you're, you're, and this was one of those philosophical arguments mm -hmm. too, is if you say it doesn't, then it then you just admitted that it does. <laughs> so in the fact that you're, you're, Values, your objective moral values are mm -hmm. a little bit different than what mine are, and we're having, or even if they're juxtaposed, we both are admitting that there's an issue with mm -hmm. this particular topic, and there is, there has to be, therefore, uh, a, a a solid, universal type of objective that mm -hmm. applies, and you know, one of us has it has it got has had it twisted or has misinterpreted perhaps but that objective still exists right yeah and it, as an illustration you could have eight different students give different answers on the test does that mean that there isn't a correct answer to the test no no <laughs> you know so it, it doesn't disprove the objective morality it just proves that people have different perspectives on how to apply that objective morality right. 
Another one is, and we dealt with this already, I don't believe in God and I'm a moral person. Again, the argument for objective morality doesn't mean that you have to be a Christian to be moral. It's just an argument that we all have that common morality and that common morality proves the existence of a lawgiver, hence God, to give that law to all of us, basically. And so this argument, honestly, it confuses what we would call ontology. The question, is there objective morality with epistemology? How do we know what that objective morality is? Mm. Okay. Just because I can come to a moral conclusion as an atheist, that doesn't disprove the source of my objective morality. It just means I came to that conclusion by a different route than you would necessarily. Right, right. And then we talked about the last one, existence of sociopaths um, as, again, abnormalities or weird circumstances don't disprove objective morality. They're just the exceptions to the rule. You know, and so basically we've kind of, we've approached this as if God doesn't exist, objective moral values don't exist. That was the first premise. And we looked at the non-theistic arguments against the necessity for God to have objective morality. Mm -hmm. And then the second premise was that objective morality does exist, and we've shown in many cases we would all, everyone would be in agreement that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. Right. And right. from those two premises, we deduce, therefore, that God must exist. Right. Yeah. And, you know, just taking that maybe even a step further... Mm-hmm. Um, in, in Geisler's um, Christian Apologetics book, he, he, he took that one, more, one step further in saying that, okay, now we've, we've looked at this. We've looked at this argument for an ultimate lawgiver, a, a, mm-hmm. a God. And you look at that and you look at the God that is all good. He's all-knowing. He's these things that we talked about philosophically at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And those characteristics are so similar to that of the God described in the Bible, right? That it lends very strongly, perhaps not ultimately, but very strongly to the fact that this God, who, or this supreme being, mm-hmm. that gave these moral or whose nature is these moral values, is so much like the God described in the Bible, his characteristics, that it almost lends itself to the exact point that. The God of the Bible mm-hmm. is the ultimate giver of these moral values that right. are universal. Yes, yeah. So, so I think that was pretty, it was really neat to to dig into this. And mm-hmm. um, I've, I've made a point uh, to myself to go back and read Mere Christianity. Right. <laughs> just, just, you know, follow up on some of these things that we touched on mm-hmm. um, that... You know, I started to, to study and I pulled some of my thoughts together from just to, you know, delve even deeper. And I think with any of these, any of the, the, the blogs that, that Jason and Luke have done, I mean, I would just challenge you to go back and, and do a little homework, do a little right. extra research, because it just brings so much out, more out about who God is and what we, what we believe mm-hmm. um, and the fundamentals that we hold to. So yep. I appreciate the time. Yes, sir. Thank you for coming. Sure. So as always, if you guys have any questions, feel free to submit those through our podcast website or even on Facebook, we can take care of those and grace and peace be with you. Thank you.